Ligeia by Edgar Allan Poe And the will therein lieth, which dieth not. Who knoweth the mystery of the will with its vigour? For God is but a great will pervading all things by nature of its intentness. Man does not yield himself to the angels, nor unto death utterly, save only through the weakness of his feeble will. Joseph Glanville I cannot for my soul remember how, when, or even precisely where, I first became acquainted with the Lady Ligeia. Long years have since elapsed, and my memory is feeble through much suffering. Or, perhaps, I cannot now bring these points to mind, because, in truth, the character of my beloved, her rare learning, her singular yet placid cast of beauty, and the thrilling and enthralling eloquence of her low musical language, made their way into my heart by paces so steadily and stealthily progressive that they have been unnoticed and unknown. Yet I believe that I met her first and most frequently in some large, old, decaying city near the Rhine. Of her family I have surely heard her speak. That it is of a remotely ancient date cannot be doubted. Ligeia! Ligeia! Buried in studies of a nature more than all else adapted to deaden impressions of the outward world, it is by that sweet word alone, by Ligeia, that I bring before mine eyes in fancy the image of her who is no more. And now, while I write, a recollection flashes upon me that I have never known the paternal name of her who was my friend and my betrothed, and who became the partner of my studies, and finally the wife of my bosom. Was it a playful charge on the part of my Ligeia, or was it a test of my strength of affection that I should institute no inquiries upon this point, or was it rather a caprice of my own, a wildly romantic offering on the shrine of the most passionate devotion? I but indistinctly recall the fact itself. What wonder that I have utterly forgotten the circumstances which originated or attended it? And indeed, if ever that spirit which is entitled Romance, if ever she, the wan, misty-winged Ashtophet of idolatrous Egypt, presided as they tell over marriage is ill-omened, then most surely she presided over mine. There is one dear topic, however, on which my memory fails me not. It is the person of Ligeia. In stature she was tall, somewhat slender, and in her latter days even emaciated. I would in vain attempt to portray the majesty, the quiet ease of her demeanour, or the incomprehensible lightness and elasticity of her footfall. She came and departed as a shadow. I was never made aware of her entrance into my closed study, save by the dear music of her low, sweet voice, as she placed her marble hand upon my shoulder. In beauty of face no maiden ever equalled her. It was the radiance of an opium dream, 
an airy and spirit-lifting vision more wildly divine than the fantasies which hovered about the slumbering souls of the daughters of Delos. Yet her features were not of that regular mould which we have been falsely taught to worship in the classical labours of the heathen. There is no exquisite beauty, says Bacon, Lord Verilam, speaking truly of all the forms and genera of beauty, without some strangeness in the proportion. Yet, although I saw that the features of Ligeia were not of a classical regularity, although I perceived that her loveliness was indeed exquisite, and felt that there was much of strangeness pervading it, yet I have tried in vain to detect the irregularity, and to trace home my own perception of the strange. I examined the contour of the lofty and pale forehead. It was faultless. How cold, indeed, that word, when applied to a majesty so divine! 